The Bengals have a day off of training camp practice on Wednesday, so we talked with a doctor about Joe Burrow's calf rehab, and we weigh in on some early impressions and how things have changed thus far in camp. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to this show on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcast. And when you subscribe to this show, hit the bell on YouTube, put on notifications wherever you get your podcasts. That makes it really easy for you to be one of those first listeners we love so much, or an everydayer. Listen to this podcast every day, and why wouldn't you, as the Bengals ramp up for their quest? to get back into a deep playoff run, to get back to the Super Bowl. And if you want a little bit more, you can check us out on Subtext as well. If you're an everyday or you've heard us talk about this for the past couple of days, we're just starting this this week. This is an opportunity for you to sign up for texts from us directly. It means you don't have to go to social media. You don't have to wait for the podcast for your updates. When things happen that we think are noteworthy and interesting, we'll just put them out on Subtext. You'll get a text directly in your phone, and you can check it out at joinsubtext.com slash Locked on Bengals. There will be a link as well in the description of this episode. If you're into that, it's a way to support us. If you want to do a little bit extra, if you don't, nothing else changes. The show remains the same. This will be here. This will remain free. So no worries there. Just an extra bit. If you're interested in a little bit of a direct line of communication to us and James, we're going to dive into a bit of a training camp mailbag today. We've, we've got our topic set. Going to talk about some early impressions. We'll finish up the show. Like I mentioned with, a look at Joe Burrow's rehab. We're going to talk to Dr. Brandon Bowers about that at the end of the show. But let's start with DJ Turner. One of the biggest stories of training camp so far outside of Joe Burrow's calf is the impression that DJ Turner has made so far. And a question from Akila the Goat was, how good has DJ Turner been? He hears reports that DJ Turner has been very good so far, but he's also been in nearly every highlight tape for the receivers, I think is the observation from Akila here. He recalls Cam <laughs> Taylor Britt having the same issue last year in highlights, despite decent coverage. And I have some thoughts here, but James, I'll, I'll let you give your impressions because you're there in person so far. I'll be there tomorrow, just in case anyone forgot. But James, you've seen a week of DJ Turner practices. The everything that you were hoping to translate to the football field translates. You know, the speed, the quickness, agility. The, the thing that I didn't know about, I didn't know how explosive he would be with the ball in the air. And I didn't know that he would be able to track it the way he does. And he can track it. Even going against Jamar Chase, he's given up some catches against Jamar Chase. But man, he's right there on the ball trying to snatch it away, hit it away, and, and he's on it. And that's the part of it that I think is really hard to teach. So I've been really impressed uh, with Juan Drago or a.k.a. DJ Turner the second. Uh, however you want to call him. But uh, he's, to me, he's ahead of where Cam Taylor Britt was last year. I, I watched Cam Taylor Britt in one-on-ones as a rookie, and, and it was he was searching for a bit. And, and there was a time where he, he was kind of watching during camp. And instead, with, with DJ Turner, he went from kind of being Sidney Jones's backup to now he's going up against Jamar Chase. I, I don't think I've seen him go up against T. Higgins yet. That would be a fun one because of the size difference for sure. 
But overall, I think that he's ahead of my expectations, and I think he's doing he's doing really well. So, yes, I, I think the hype is real. That doesn't mean cornerbacks don't get beat. That doesn't mean he's not going to give up some receptions. Charlie Jones got him in a one-on-one where Jones just outboxed him for the ball in the air on a back shoulder where Turner was all over him. And, and that's the part where he's going to have to adjust and get stronger and all of those things. At the same time, I've been really impressed with his game, and I think the hype is real. Yeah, what we've seen from DJ Turner so far is sticky coverage, smooth athleticism, great explosion, like you mentioned, the ability for him to get up and and find the ball. The ball tracking has been very, very high level. The the small little technical things, the hand fighting, I think, from the, the clips we've seen has been high level most of the time. And where you're seeing him have issues is with guys that, are just stronger. Mm-hmm. Jamar Chase is, as we've discussed, stronger than most players his size. Pound for pound might be the strongest player in the NFL, certainly up there. I'm sure there are a lot of players that would contend for that title, but for wide receivers, for corners, one of the strongest players at their position in the league. And at the catch point, if Jamar Chase goes through you because you're not at that level of size and strength, you're going to give those up sometimes. And he's doing a good job even when that happens of playing through the hands and doing the things you're supposed to do to try to break up passes when you have been outboxed for a ball in the air when you can't get his head around. But that that's just kind of going to be how his game works. But the encouraging signs of all those things that we've talked about, the athleticism translating onto the football field and good awareness, good technique, all of these things, are what bode really well for his future. And one thing that was instilled in me from a long, long time ago in early talks with Joe Goodberry, going back to like Jonathan Joseph and and Leon Hall and then William Jackson, is the ability to find the ball in the air that you talked about, James, which has been really impressive in a number of highlights for DJ Turner so far. Yeah, totally agree. Hopefully that can continue. Next question is about backup center. Donnie Venable, who's in the competition at backup center and how are they looking? Yeah, so we expected this to be Trey Hill, maybe Ben Brown in the mix, but surprise contender, James. Max Scherping getting some work at center. Yeah, and he was taking some center reps on Monday. Trey Hill was was in there on Tuesday, and obviously Hill has been the backup center uh, was last year. So we'll see there. I think it's... I think it's interesting, and it is also very, very wise to have one of these other interior linemen get used to playing center. And Max Sharping, maybe he can do it. It wasn't bad. I mean, he was doing it in team drills. It wasn't like it was just individual or on the side or something like that. He was doing it in team drills, and it was not not awful. So we'll see. It's not like it stood out in any way. So that's exactly what you want if you have a backup center in there. So we'll see, but I think Sharping, Hill – and then obviously you have a guy like Ben Brown behind those guys. I think that you're hoping to see a step forward for Trey Hill. He was young coming into the league. I remember after the Bengals drafted him, there's a lot of conversation that he needed one more year. And if he'd just gone back to school, he could have really helped himself in terms of the, the perception of him as a draft prospect. But the Bengals, on the other hand, were bullish on him overcoming some injuries and being more explosive and more athletic than he tested because – He was dealing with injuries when he came out. And so 
he did have some time to develop here, but this is kind of a, a make or break point, an, an inflection point, I think, in a lot of ways for his career. And, and that's not to say that he couldn't develop later because you can always have late bloomers and that's always possible. But as far as where he's going to stick with the Bengals, I think they need to see him show that he's developed a little bit. And we're not going to know about this one, I think, until until some live football, until we get some actual preseason games, right? Because it's just with, with the pads just coming on, one padded practice in the books, adding some extra guys to the competition, I think that one might take a little bit of time to work out. No doubt. No doubt. And I, I like that it it feels like a competition. It feels like there could be the dark horse contender in Max Sharping, and that could get the best out of, of Trey Hill as well. So this is certainly one of the the spots that we'll be yeah. looking at in preseason game number one. And but it's, it's one that we hadn't talked about either. Like we've talked about backup no. quarterback. We talked about backup receiver. But this one is a little bit surprising the way that it's kind of worked out. Thought maybe Ben Brown would be in the mix here, but it's getting spicy, which is. Which and maybe is he is. You know, yeah. maybe he ends up being in the mix. You never know. Yeah, totally. We'll, we'll see more once we get more pattern practices. Once we get some preseason games, we'll see who's playing with whom and when. But more to talk about in terms of a training camp mailbag, some bubble updates, perhaps. That's interesting. How has the roster bubble changed with a week of training camp practices in the book, at least according to our perception? We'll go there coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to qualified candidates and the best candidates that are available, and that's why you need LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to hire. Small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. It's why you got to get the LinkedIn right now, whether you're looking for a backup center or looking for your latest hire at your business. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Let's talk roster bubble changes, James. We've got a question from Dave Sizemore at Dave Sizemore on Twitter from the early looks at camp. What player uh, or players do you mm-hmm. see potentially on the bubble that are getting pushed by the younger guys? And we've talked about some surprising bubble candidates, and Terrell Basham was one of them. And I mm-hmm. think this is worth commenting on before we talk about some of the others. He, he's still dealing with an injury, so we haven't seen him for a couple of days. It might be a while yet before we see him back at practice. We'll see how that develops. But who else, James? in terms of changes from our conversation, you know, a week or two ago when we were thinking about the roster bubble to today. From one DJ to another, you know, we talked about DJ Turner, but to me, DJ Ivy, the seventh round rookie out of Miami is playing his way onto this team. Now it's still early, but man, great off season program, really successful back together Saturday flash last week in practice, did the same thing earlier this week, even a one-on-one against T Higgins, the ball wasn't thrown great, but he was on T Higgins deep downfield and sticking with T. I like what I'm seeing from Ivy. So to me, if he makes the team, well, who's on the outside looking in roster wise, could Jalen Davis be on the bubble 
at corner and you use Dax Hill or, or DJ Turner as your backup nickel, I, I could see them going that route potentially. Uh, I, I also think that just looking at this, Sidney Jones was kind of passed by DJ Turner a bit. Is he on the bubble? I think those would be the two guys in the cornerback room that it could get interesting for, for sure. I agree with you on Terrell Basham. Hopefully he can get healthy soon and get in that competition. Um, other guys, it, there aren't many. Like I, I think Devin Asiasi in the tight end room, but that was a guy we kind of talked about before. But it might be for a different reason because Mitch Wilcox is still on the pup list. So maybe it's not because of Mitch. Maybe it's because of Tanner Hudson, who we've talked about a lot on this pod. So uh, different guys like that. And, and then the other one would be after Travion Williams' injury, if Chris Evans and Chase Brown just show up and show out, that could put Travion Williams uh, on the bubble potentially. He's not right now. I think he was a lock coming into camp. And so I think a lot would have to happen for it to happen. But I figured I would at least mention it that anytime there's an injury like that and you're in a competition, you, you never know. I'm surprised you didn't mention OJ Howard there talking about Devin Asiasi. He was he was released or waived on Tuesday. Was he? Was he? I didn't see I didn't see that. So there you go. I, I think that was that was during during practice. I think. Now, well, the I'm Bengals liked Asiasi more than Howard, clearly. I'm double-checking now, but I'm pretty sure this is a, Howard. a real thing. Yeah, Marvin Ari, Lewis's boy. Ari Merov reported it, the Raiders yeah, the waived O.J. Howard right. on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Tanner Hudson's a guy that I've brought up out of the blue just, just because of the way he shined early on. In many practices, it's something that we talked about in yesterday's show as well. True battle there at the back of the tight end room. Mitch Wilcox at this point. I mean, would you be surprised if he is on the pup list to start the regular season? Not surprised. I still expect him to to come back at some point. I think they're taking it slow with him. I, I think that this is a them playing it safe type deal, but we'll see, you know, and maybe it's because Hudson's emerging and they're like, all right, well, let's just leave Mitch there for a bit longer. If it's borderline, never know. Outside of that, I do agree with you that corner is probably the most interesting roster battle on this team right now. I mean, in terms of things that have changed, like wide receiver is kind of still what it was where mm-hmm. the roster, bo- roster bubble still features Kwame Lasseter, Stanley Morgan and Trent Taylor for different reasons for each of those guys. But Kwame Lasseter, probably the the biggest hill to climb. Trent Taylor has this this competition with Charlie Jones that, that's going to be tough if Charlie Jones acquits himself as a capable punt returner. And Was that a short joke about Trent Taylor? Nope. And Stanley Morgan has... It's mean. Come been, on, I said no. Stanley Morgan has been on this team doing a very clear job for a while. So, like, that's kind of been what it is, but... Biggest Alan George has made plays in in camp, Trent and it's Taylor. not like it's not like uh, Sidney Jones hasn't made any plays, right? No, he has. Like he's been fine. Yeah, that's what's crazy. Is it's like man, and and so that's why I mentioned Jalen Davis because I mm-hmm. I don't think Sidney Jones has played poorly, and it's like okay, well, do you really need a backup nickel? Yes. That, that no, you do, but like, do you need one that's only a nickel? No, if you have somebody that can do it. And I don't love the idea of moving Dax Hill. Like Dax Hill, I would like this year for him to be, you're going to start at safety. You're going to, you know, be the sure. safety. And we just talked about it yesterday, how much they're keeping 
Dax Hill and Nick Scott on the field together DJ and working Turner? that combo. Yeah, DJ Turner, sure. If he can do that, but, but that would be that would be the point because it's not DJ Ivy. We know that. Like it's just size. It's he's not going to be your nickel. So Turner, we just talked about him kind of getting bullied at times at the catch point, but everything else is there, quickness, agility. Like I think he could do it. So we'll see. These things change in a hurry. You know how it can be, but they have like eight really good corners, <laughs> like good enough to make the roster corners. It's it's a real battle because it's of that. Wild, yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's the same at wide receiver. They're they're both positions where they're very deep and arguably edge. Although we haven't talked about Jeff Gunter a single time, I think in this off season yet or, or training camp he, yet. He needs a good preseason. He needs a good preseason. Yeah. Terrell Basham injury potentially opens that door a little bit wider, but yeah, it does. Uh, we'll see there. Devonshaw Maxwell, also a guy that we talked about at some point, he was also injured. We haven't mentioned that on the podcast. He went off on a cart on Tuesday as yep. well. So getting a little bit thinner on the interior defensive line. Any other roster bubble guys, Michael Thomas, do you think, I mean, that's not necessarily new, <sighs> but yeah, it's just tough. Yeah, that the safety. It's just tough because I I think they they're going to keep Tyson Anderson. Well, he's your fourth, and Mike Thomas. Are you keeping five safeties? Like, I, there's yeah. just not a lot of spots, Jake. Yeah, they need to have a 63 man roster. I mean, my God. Well, the, the practice Bengals squad have, gives the, you that. The, the Bengals have 53 guys. They're going to have 53 guys on this roster, and all 53, like top to bottom, are going to be better than like the first 40 guys on a lot of their teams six years ago and four years ago or whatever it is. Like it's just way deeper. Yeah. The depth. If that makes sense. Point, I hope that makes sense. The depth at this point feels really good. Just, just looking up and down the roster as we've discussed many times. Best kicker in the game. And arguably the best quarterback in the game, best receiver in the game. Like for, for people Michael are going to come at me, come at me about that. For Michael Thomas in particular, he can make it to the practice squad. He could be one of your veterans on the practice squad. Sure. They definitely want to keep him. Yeah. Like for no sure. doubt. They love him. And, and and they should. Like he's and he's valuable and he's a special teams body. Like Darren Simmons is going to say, no, I want him on the roster. So yeah. that's it's an interesting battle. Yeah, we so. haven't talked about special teams nearly enough, considering that's it gonna needs to be much better. Their, yeah. yeah. And that's going to determine some of these roster battles that we're, that we're yep. talking about here. Corner, safety, tight end, receiver. These are all positions that, that need to play special teams. Running back, these are all positions that will probably need to play special teams. Coming up next, got a little deep dive for you into Joe Burrow's injury, the, the mechanism, what's actually happening in the calf muscle with a calf strain, what rehab might look like, why the Bengals might play conservatively, and how – your expectations can be set for something like a grade one calf strain. We talk with Dr. Brandon Bowers about Joe Burrow's calf rehab coming up next. August is here. And you know what that means? The official start of fantasy football drafting month. Get championship ready for your home league by trying out best ball on underdog fantasy. All you do is one live snake draft. No waivers, no trades. Underdog sets your best lineup every week. Try it out. With Underdog's Best Ball Mania Tournament, the largest fantasy football contest of all time is back and even bigger with $15 million of total prizes up for grabs, including an absurd $3 million going to the winner. Last year, the winner drafted their team in July, so don't 
wait around. I love best ball leagues because you draft and you can forget, and hopefully with Underdog, you will win. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store and sign up with promo code Locked On to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On. We're now joined by Dr. Brandon Bowers, Doctor of Physical Therapy at Athletico. And we've talked to Brandon a few times, Dr. Bowers a few times about various injuries sustained by various high-key Bengals. And today we're talking about Joe Burrow's calf injury. We haven't really gotten a whole lot of details on this injury, but we suspect it's either a grade one or grade two calf strain from the impression that we're getting about when the team is expecting him to return to play. But let's just start there. Can you talk a little bit about what that injury is in terms of mechanism that, that causes the injury and, and what the actual injury itself, what's happening in the body? When we're dealing with any kind of muscle strain, Jake, it involves the overstretch of a muscle. So if you watch the video when he hurt himself, he went to plant, the calf muscle got overstretched, and that's where we run into the, this calf muscle strain scenario. When we break these down, as you alluded to earlier, the, these are classified on a grade one, a grade two, or a grade three scale, with grade one being the least severe and just a partial overstretch of the muscle. As we move into grade two and grade three, these then involve a, a partial tear of the muscle, then grade three, ultimately a, a full thickness tear and oftentimes a surgical situation. As you mentioned, this is likely a grade one, grade two type situation here for Burrow, which is best case scenario, I guess, aside from him not getting hurt at all, uh, but still waiting to see a little bit more information as opposed to his timeline. And the calf muscle is actually multiple muscles. The, you got the soleus, the, you can probably recite the other names better than I can, gastro something complex. You want to talk a little bit about what muscles might be involved? Absolutely. So you've got the gastrocnemius, a big, long, intimidating sounding word that just means calf. And then you also have the soleus muscle. Both of those work together to do what we call plantar flex the foot. And what that means is essentially flexing of the foot downward if you were to point your foot and your ankle down as opposed to pulling it up towards your shin. Uh, collectively, those two muscles are known as the triceps surrey complex, a little less off-use off term. Uh, normally you hear gastroc and soleus are, are just simply the calf in layman's terms. And I've seen some doctors out there who like to talk about sports injuries talk about what part of the calf was strained, which of those calf muscles was strained could tell or, or could dictate to some degree the recovery for burrow and, and where in the muscle did that strain occur? Is it in the belly of the muscle versus an attachment? Does that sound about right to you? It certainly does. When, when we're dealing with muscle strains that are in the belly of a muscle, there's typically a pretty robust and good blood supply, which is indicative of a faster healing timetable. As we get closer to the origin or the insertion of a muscle and closer to that tendon, tendons historically do not have the best blood, blood supply and, and thereby take longer to recover. Most of these calf strains, though, are in the muscle belly and come with a little bit shorter return to play time as opposed to those that are closer to the insertion or the origin. Yeah, and obviously we don't know that specifically with Burrow. All we really know is where he reached when he was on the ground, which clinically probably doesn't really mean anything at all because who knows where that muscle actually was injured. Let's talk a little bit about the recovery. The Bengals reportedly had him totally off the leg, sounded like he was on a scooter in a boot doing some immobilizing. What's the typical recovery process like for this injury? 
So first, we need to delineate whether or not this is a grade one or grade two issue, which we don't know at this point. If we go best case scenario and say that this is a grade one injury, typically this is two to four weeks until he's back and feeling good and able to perform football activities again. As we move into the grade two type scenario, this is where rehab gets lengthened and and typically falls in the neighborhood of six to eight weeks. So without that key piece of information of how severe this is, it's tough to dictate at this point how long he's going to be out. I think you you look at him and, and his health right now. You've got a long season ahead. You got playoff and Super Bowl aspirations. So I think you see the team err on the side of caution if there's any doubt about when he's able to return. I wouldn't expect to see him at all during the preseason, and we'll see if he's ready to go week one against Cleveland. What's the period of immobilization expected to be? Say say it's a grade one for for the sake of simplicity, or, or somewhere between grade one and one and a half. I know that a half isn't a thing, and I made that up, but. If it is a grade one, what what's the day-to-day for Burrow look like for the next couple of weeks? Now he's going to be in the, in the boot probably for the next one to two weeks just to make sure he, he's not putting any undue force through that leg and through that cap that he doesn't need to. And then, then he's going to be in the training room. He's going to be spending a lot of time in there helping to manage swelling, helping to manage pain, making sure those things are calmed down. The other interesting thing when it comes to muscle strain injuries is they are an overstretch of the muscle, but after the muscle has been overstretched, they have a tendency to want to tighten back up. So there's a fine line that needs to be skated of that muscle tightening back up so it's not overstretched, but not getting too tight. So when he's working with the athletic training staff and the physical therapy staff, they're going to work to make sure that that cap doesn't get too tight. And then as he gets into later stages of rehab, we'll see a shift to be more towards strengthening and redevelopment of that power. There's been a lot of speculation or or concern, I should say, about the risk of re-injury for the calf muscle. And the way that I've seen it described is you can get to, say, 90% in your recovery, a point where the calf isn't feeling bad, walking, even running can feel normal, but there's still a little bit of damage. The the muscle isn't 100% back to its baseline. It's still in a position where things can get a little bit precarious. Is there certain imaging testing that can be done, or, or is that not even clear enough to really say when that muscle is fully healed? Or what would the approach be to say, yep, you're 100%, you're good to go, and your risk of re-injury is is not as high as it might otherwise be in terms of recovery. To answer the imaging piece of this first, Jake, uh, this is the NFL. So these guys are going to get repeat MRIs to look at the quality of the tissue to see about swelling and scarring down of the muscle. So that, that really is the gold standard to be able to tell from, from an image perspective, okay, where is Joe Burrow at? So I, I anticipate that he has a couple additional MRIs along the way. In terms of a function perspective, I mean, you can feel pretty good with with a calf issue when you are at 90 or 95%. Really what this comes down to is his ability to explode and generate power off of that leg. And now, I mean, there are things that we can do clinically in the training room just to to test that out and and see how things are, but it's not gonna be truly until he's back into practice and back in game scenarios where we, we, we really have a good understanding of where he's at. The recurrence rate of soft tissue injuries, whether it's a calf, a quad, or a hamstring, typically if they occur in the preseason, there's about a 30% chance that these happen again during the regular season. And just from my clinical experience, the calf seems to occur at a rate a little bit higher than that. So this needs to be done right and done well the first time so it's not a season-long problem. And if you're trying to prevent recurrence, is it just, okay, we think you're good, let's take an extra four to seven days or something like that? Is it is it something where just giving it a little bit more time to be conservative, to be safe, can prevent recurrence of injury? 
I think absolutely, especially at, at this stage in the season. If we were later in the year and the Bengals were in the playoff push, then I think this could be something that could, could be pushed along a little bit and say, hey, let's get through this, cross our fingers and, and see what happens. But again, I, I think they'll take a little bit more time. And if they've got the opportunity to take an extra week or so to slow things down just a touch to make sure that this isn't a season long issue, then I think they will. And in terms of prevention or support for the muscle, it's not like a joint where you can wear a brace, but we did see him in a calf sleeve in that practice before he got hurt. Is that something that could help in, if he does return to play just to play it safe? Or is that just, I guess, what's the role of the calf sleeve in terms of supporting the muscle? Now, the big thing with the calf sleeve is just to keep the muscle warm. And I, I think this comes into greater play as we get deeper into the season, we get into the colder months. He's out for an offensive series and he's on the sideline. That calf has a tendency to tighten up and get cold. So with the sleeve, it helps to keep maintain body heat and keep the muscle warm. So we're not going through this cycle where he's cold and then he's warm, he's cold and then he's warm again. During these early months in the season, you, you might see him have it on just from a, a kind of mental mindset piece of it for him to feel comfortable uh, and keep himself warm. But this comes into greater play as the weather gets colder and we're later into the season. We'll, of course, hope that this doesn't become a nagging injury for Joe Burrow and we can talk about a healthy season for once. We don't get to talk about a healthy preseason, unfortunately. You can find Dr. Bowers on Twitter. You can see the handle if you're watching on YouTube in the video. If not, it's DR for Dr. Brandon Bowers, just like it sounds. You can also find him down in Clifton at Athletico where he does his work. Dr. Bowers, always appreciate the time and insight into the various injuries that we've had to discuss with you over the years. Jake, thanks for having me on the show, and hopefully we don't have to talk again soon. Really appreciate, as always, chatting with Dr. Brandon Bowers, who works down in Clifton. I think I mentioned that at Athletico. So if you want to get some physical therapy done, well, you can go check him out maybe. But more than anything else, great insight into the rehab process for Joe Burrow, talking about why they may or may not have had him in a boot at any point, why they would immobilize a muscle, and why those walks got so much attention because the fact that he was walking without a boot, without the scooter, is in fact noteworthy. The next episode you hear from us, I will be in Cincinnati, James. We might be recording side by side, some logistics to work out there for sure, but excited to see some training camp practices in person. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hootay, and have a good one.